introduce this morning, uh, you may already know her, Janice, you can come on up, but Janice is going to be sharing the word with us this morning. Y'all give a hand for Janice Ray. We actually met Janice, or Jessica did, uh, 15 years ago, but that's a whole nother story. And um, But Janice, uh, I admire her walk with the Lord, and I, I know she walks with him, she talks with him. He tells her she's his own. <laughs> but um, I just want to pray for Janice, and then I'm just going to hand it over to her. Father, we thank you for your, your Holy Spirit, and we just pray your blessing upon this time. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. Open the eyes of our understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Wow, that was a good uh, precursor. Thank you. <laughs> um, for the Holy Spirit. Yes, um, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Just breathe him in for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the power of your spirit freedom of your spirit. Thank you. When I was over here um, worshiping this morning, um, when we were singing that song, um, I see the chains falling. I see the chains falling. And what I saw was a picture of a train. And I heard that commercial, you can't stop a train. And I was thinking even this week, uh, I'd taken Micah to a little um, festival, and there was a train track right there. And the, I mean, the first thing he did was try to run up on that train track. And I'm like, no, 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 don't get on a train track. Don't ever get on a train track. And he's like, why? And I said, because you can't stop a train. And you know, you cannot stop this train, the train of God's love. So I'm just, I felt like he's inviting us today to get on that train. Travis is always praying and saying, you know, the kingdom of God, it's increasing. It's increasing. It's, it's never going to get any less. It's a train. And the Lord wants you to get in it. And he wants, he wants to get you bowled over with it. He wants it to run through your life and not stop. Never stop. Never stop. So when um, Travis asked me to speak... I asked him, you know, did he have anything in particular? And one of the things he said was, you know, like a life message. And I guess this is, I hadn't really thought about it, but I guess this is kind of my life message that the Lord has put in my heart. And, um, and it's a message about love. And I um, thought it was kind of neat because a lot of the prayers this morning without knowing when we were in the prayer room had to do with that, had to do with love. And um, the, the interesting thing, though, this time, the Lord didn't start me where I thought he would start me. He didn't start me in a verse that I thought, you know, okay, it was kind of in my repertoire of love verses or something. He started me in a different verse, and I feel like he gave me some revelation on it that I didn't have before now. And the first verse that we're going to look at is John 13, 34. Yay. And this is Jesus talking to um, his disciples. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So when the Lord led me to this, this scripture, the first thing that jumped out to me was a new commandment I give to you. You know, why is this a new commandment? They had been told to love one another before. In fact, um, you'll put up the Matthew 22 scripture. 37 through 39. There we go. This is, again, Jesus talking to his disciple. Well, actually, he's talking to a Pharisee that came to him and was trying to trick him, okay? But this was his response to the Pharisee. He said, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So Jesus had told them before to love one another. This is, this is, all Israel knew this, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. And the reason he says, I'm giving you a new commandment is because he qualifies it in a new way. Instead of saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he said, as I have loved you. He gave them a new qualifier. You know, before, they were, they were trying to do this, and they were trying to love their neighbor as they loved themselves. And let's just be honest. <laughs> Sometimes we don't love ourselves so well, do we? Sometimes we don't. And so if we're trying out of that to do that, there can be a deficit. And Jesus even reiterated this. He reiterated in John 15, 12. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay? So he reiterated that. And they have a new picture of love. That's what he was trying to give them. He was trying to give them a new picture of what love looked like. They were receiving a new covenant, a better covenant. I'm not going to go into the Hebrews 8 New Covenant scriptures that talk about the New Covenant, but that's what they were getting here. They were getting something better. You know, God said that he had done it this way, but you know what he saw is they didn't love each other so well. So he had to send a picture, a picture of what love looked like. And he did that. He did that. And if you look at the second part of this John 15, the second part, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus was going to show them what this picture of love looked like, that they were to love others as he had loved them. They were to love each other in a sacrificial way. Now, just think about it for a minute. This was before they had even seen Jesus sacrificed on the cross. They hadn't seen it. So they hadn't gotten the full picture yet, but they were going to get the full picture, weren't they? You know, I honestly, I haven't seen the movie, The Passion of Christ, but I've seen the pictures from it. And it's my understanding that that's pretty spot on to what Jesus looked like on that cross. If you, you want a picture of love, Google that. Google pictures from The Passion of Christ and look at those pictures and see the sacrifice, the power of love, that he, the picture that he was giving them, a new covenant, a new picture, a new command to love as he had loved, to love sacrificially, to love that way. You know, I was thinking about that song, Relentless Love, and we all love that song. You know, I think we love that song because we, we dare to hope to believe that that is really the way that we are loved. You know, a love that pursues us, a love that chases us, a love that comes after us. We dare to hope to believe. That's why we love that song so much. That's why that song, I believe, is, has become so powerful and is sung, you know, by so many. But this was a very personal commandment that Jesus was giving them. He says, as I have loved you. It's very personal. As I have loved you. He wanted them to get that inside of themselves, how much he loved them personally. Um, I'm going to share this, but I'm going to share. I'm going to go down a little rabbit trail here. Um, I, um, I'm, I can be, um, <laughs> let's see, how can I word this? I can be a little political. I can be a little into um, going against things that, you know, that I believe go against our freedom and against things that I see as the Lord. And so anyways, I was reading about someone's child who um, had taken a vaccination that killed them. And the responses broke my heart because the responses was, sure, your child died, but this is for the greater good. And I, I thought, that's not the mind of Christ. That's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ leaves the 99 for the one. If one perishes, 
then we should all be saying, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with this picture. We need to look at it. Something's wrong. So the Lord loves. He wants you to love as he has loved you. He loves the individual. He goes after the one. He wants you to love as he's loved you, not as he's loved the world, not as he's loved your neighbor, not as he's loved your parents, not as he's loved Travis or Jessica. He wants you to love as he has loved you. So you've got to get that revelation. We've got to get that revelation of how much we are loved. And we can't give away something that we don't know. And I'm going to tell you, I am still on that learning curve. And I believe we will always all be on that learning curve. But Lord, take us on that learning curve. Take us on that learning curve. Take us with you. Take us into that place where we know, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved. And we, we know that we are loved sacrificially. We, are, we know that we are loved with a love that would pursue us no matter what, no matter where we were. Like Katie was sharing that scripture. I love that scripture because that scripture she was sharing, it talks about where can I go from your presence, Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? It says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Even if I make my bed in hell, this kind of got driven home to me. Um, I don't think I have the name of the book off the top of my head, but it was a young guy, and um, he was in the military. He got pneumonia, and he actually died. He was about 18 or 19 years old. And um, he had been born again, but, you know, he'd been born again. That was about as far as it went. He didn't know a lot about Scripture or anything, but he'd been born again. He was in the military. He passed away. And, and some of you may have read this book. It's a minute. It's a book. I'm trying to, I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, um, and he talked about as when he left his body, the experience and what he saw. And one of the things he saw were people in hell, but he saw angels and the love of God even flying over hell. He didn't know that he was seeing this scripture, that even there God would wish that they had come to know his love. You know, even there. So no matter where you make your bed, where you may have gone, what you may have done, the love of Christ is there. The presence, because you can't separate the love of Christ from his presence. Those two, those things don't separate. He defines, you know, who he is. He defines it. Whatever, you know, when you say Jesus is peace. Guess what? It would not exist if it wasn't for Jesus. He defines it. He makes it. If you say Jesus is love, he defines it. He makes it. It doesn't exist without him. He defines it. So this is the first thing that I think that we have to come to know about the love of God. Before we even really love people, the way we can, I'm not saying we can't love people, but we want a love. We want a love that's going to transform society. It's going to transform this world. That's going to bring the kingdom. A friend sent um, me a video of a woman speaking over at, to Cambridge. And she was speaking to the youth there, like a lot of you youth, but they were at Cambridge. And she's very radical conservative. And um, as I watched her, I just kept thinking... Where are the voices that know the love of God? Where are the voices that have the power of the Spirit that are inarguable? You can't argue with them. Because this woman, she may have had some truths, some, um, you know, some ways that she thought, but the love of God was not there. And that's what we need. We've got to become that voice that's permeated, that's soaked, that's as if we've just been dipped. We've been soaked. We've been, you know, like I can see a sponge all the time, a sponge being stuck down into wine. There's even a scripture that says, drink and imbibe, O lovers and friends, in Song of Solomon, that we would imbibe, we would be soaked through and through with this love. You know, as I told you, you know, 
before Jesus gave them this new command. <clears throat> they were at that place of love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, um, you know, I have testimony to that. that I grew up, some of you <clears throat> were here when I gave my testimony, but um, in a home where there was a lot of abuse. And so my picture of love was very skewed. And um, so I found myself as a, as a teenager uh, in a relationship with a guy who was abusive. And um, finally the Lord spoke to me. I, I'll never forget, I was in my car and I was on a little trip by myself and he just said, Janice, life doesn't have to be like this. You know, he wanted me to learn to love myself as he had loved me. To have those boundaries, because love does have boundaries. You know, I had a friend, and she called me up, and she was in yet another abusive relationship. And I, I agonized over her all the time. I prayed, and it just sometimes I felt like I was beating my head against the wall, you know. She's calling me again. And, you know, finally, one day after I hung up the phone, I said, Lord, what is it? And he says, she doesn't love herself very much, Janice. You know. So we have to have that revelation of how much we are loved so that then in turn we can go and we can fulfill this new commandment that we can love others as I have loved you, loved you as Jesus has loved us. Then we can go and we can fulfill that commandment. Um, you know, so again, God knew this and that's why he made that new covenant and let's look at um, Romans 5, 6 through 8. Because I think that this is another picture of what his love for us looks like. Give you a second to get there. <clears throat> in fact, Romans, you need to immerse yourself in Romans. <laughs> That's one of those books that will really bring you a lot of revelation about the love of God in your life. Even though that word maybe is not used a lot as much as it is, say, in First John or Second John or the book of John. But that knowing who you are in him and how he feels about you and how he sees you. So Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So let's look at a few things in that scripture. While we were still helpless. God loved you while you were still helpless. Some versions say when, while you didn't have any strength. You know, that's hard for us. We want to help ourselves. In fact, you know, so many of us have heard that thing, God helps those who help themselves. And some people even think it's in the Bible. But God helps. And they do. I mean, I've heard people say that, quote it, and say, you know, it's, in the, it's not in the Bible, God. Instead, God loves us while we were still helpless. God loves the helpless. He loves the helpless. Right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God loves us while we are ungodly. Now, sometimes we, get, we can get that on the other side of salvation, but sometimes we get over here and we do something ungodly. Guess what? We feel like he doesn't love us anymore. But he does. This doesn't change. This doesn't change. It says he loves us while we were yet sinners. Again, sometimes on this side of salvation, we think, Oh, he loves me. I, I, got, I got saved by that. I heard that God so loved the world. I heard that message, and it resonated, and I got saved. I got set free. But then we get over here on this other side, and all of a sudden, if we do anything wrong, we think, he doesn't love me. But guess what? The equation doesn't change. In fact... Which I had a picture of the equation to show you, but I'm gonna lay my. Let's see how I can do this. I'm gonna lay this down for just a minute. I'll put it right here. Okay, just for a second. 
in fact, okay, let's say I'm the equal side. You're going to have a hard time with this. I know when I've, I've had a hard time with this. But Christ, you. Christ, you. The love of God. The equal sign. Because God gave his son for you. He valued you as much as he valued his son. That's hard for us to grasp. To put ourselves on an equal sign with how much God loved Jesus. But he did. You were worth that. Thanks, Jessica. You know, they're, they're, you, <laughs> we have a hard time with that, you know. And sometimes we can get into that place of I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. No, you're not worthy to open the book and the scroll. There's only one person who died who can do that. But you are just as worthy as Jesus of God's love because he said that. He, it's an exchange. He gave Jesus for you. It's like if we purchased something, we'd have to have that equal amount. But again, sometimes after we get saved, we start changing that equation. We start, you know, I got to help myself. I got to try to be good. Woe to me if I should sin. And again, I'm, I'm not advocating sin, but what I'm advocating is love. That you come to know how much you are loved. Let's look at um, Ephesians 1.4. This kind of rocks my world sometimes when I think about this. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That part right there just blows me away. You were foreknown. You were known before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. You're not sitting here by mistake. You didn't find Christ by mistake. God chose you. He went after you. He went after you individually. He went after you. This is he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's the place that he has put us. And that's the place that you still are. That's the place that he transferred you into. When you came into the kingdom, he transferred you into a place of where you stand holy and without blame before him. Why? Because Christ's righteousness was imputed to you. It was given to you. And again, that's why I say, you know, study Romans <laughs> and get this. You know, that in Hebrews it says we come to the church of the firstborn of, of men's hearts who have been made righteous, of people who have been made righteous. That's where we are in this new covenant. And that's when he looks at you. He sees Christ in you. He sees right, right, righteousness is rightness. He sees rightness when he looks at you. He sees rightness when he looks at you. He doesn't see wrongness. But sometimes we've got across our forehead and our minds, wrong. <laughs> wrong and he wants you to see right now i'm just gonna i'm gonna um well, wait a second don't want to get ahead of myself you are standing before him completely loved there's nothing partial in his love there's no half love he loves me to this point he loves me that he loves me maybe today he loves me three quarters <laughs> No, he loves you till your cup runs over, okay? He loves you till it just spills out. That's how he loves you. There's no halfway. There's no, I only love these parts of you, but I don't love the other parts of you. There's no, I loved you then, but now you better get with the program. It's never, it's never changed. So let's look at Romans 5.1. I'm going to touch on this first before I go to something else with this. Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are at peace with God. You have peace with God. Let that soak in. You have peace with God. You're standing before him holy and blameless, and you have peace with him. And... Um, 
you know, as I was preparing this, I know out there right now there's a lot of things about um, extreme grace and those kind of teachings. And there are people who now are saying, oh, we've got to get back to holiness. And so I thought about this. You know, Paul had this same dilemma. He's trying to communicate how much people are loved and trying to communicate the grace of God. He had this same dilemma, okay? So he addresses it. And I want us to look at that, Romans 6, 14 through 18. And again, I'm, I'm giving you a, like a brush stroke on some of this. But I just encourage you to go back and to delve, to, you know, really delve into it and dive into it. So this Romans 6, 14 through 18. This is Paul talking. He says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I think that the key in this scripture and the key to the whole dilemma is where he says, you obeyed from the heart. You know, that's what God's after is our hearts. He's after our hearts. That's why it's so important that we know how much we're loved. Because obedience springs from love. Holiness springs from love. When you know that you're loved and you love the Lord in return, guess what? It changes you. You can't be the same. He'll change your life. Your heart changes. He changes you. But sometimes we get the cart before the horse. But it's the grace, which is the power of God, fueled by his great love, because he is love, and is that which changes the behavior of a person. I'm a very foundational person. And because I believe if we get the foundation right, guess what? The building's going to go up right. Everything else is going to go right. If we change the root, we change the fruit. But sometimes what we get to doing is we get to trying to hack at the branches up here. We get, well, if I cut this off, if I do this, if I change this, you know, if I stand like this, if I look like this, if I dress like this, if I do these right things. But the Lord is after your heart. He wants to change you from the foundation up so that, guess what? It grows. It's no longer works. It's no longer works. Now, I, I just... I'll be honest, I can cross over into that work performance place. And that's why this message is just as much a message to me and has become a life message for me. Because I have to continually immerse myself in it. Immerse myself in the fact that I am loved and there's nothing I can do to earn that love. And that I just let him love me and me love him and it will grow. Those things that I want to see will grow. Those things that we all want to see, they will grow. Look at 1 John 2.5. Again, this, this supports that whole thought. 1 John 2.5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever keeps his word. In other words, when the, the love of God is perfected in you, you're going to keep his word. You're going you're gonna to be obedient. You're going to do those things. It's not going to be, you know, this, this constant struggle. That's why this is so important. I want to look a little closer at that idea of the love of God being perfected in us. Uh, it's reiterated in another 1 John passage, 1 John 4, 18. And, you know, you, many of you probably heard this scripture. We quote it. We pray it. But it says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear 
involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Because fear, like it says here, fear has to do with punishment. That somehow again, if I mess up, I'm going to get his disapproval. I'm going to get punished. You know, there's going to be some consequence. But those that are perfected in love, that fear goes away because they know that they are dearly beloved. They know that they are well-loved sons and daughters. They know that they are loved sacrificially by the Lord. They know they, they begin to get that picture of him and that sacrifice that he made and how far-reaching that love is. Another version of this says that love casts out fear because fear involves torment. You know, it's a tormenting thing. It's a, it, it can be a tormenting thing. This, the Lord really brought this home to me uh, last year. You know, it's one of those things where somebody's talking to me and it comes out of my mouth and I amaze myself because it's totally the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I didn't think it before or anything and it's like revelation. And uh, so... Um, but this man was talking to me about um, how his, when he found out, you know, that, that I had, you know, done ministry and stuff. And so he's talking to me um, about religion, religious things. And he told me that his mother was very religious. And he said, she told me all the time, you know, you're going to go to hell. If you don't do this and if you don't get right with the Lord, you are going to hell. And one day, and she actually prophesied something very bad over him. She said, one day, they're going to take you and lock you up in a dark room because you do not listen to God and you do not obey God. And actually, those things had happened to him. He, he told me in this story that he had ended up in a um, psych ward and he'd ended up in some sort of isolation room in the dark, he said. And it was like everything she told me came true. And it just hit me all of a sudden. And I looked at him and I said, that's because your mother's love and her knowledge of the love of God was fear-based. It involved punishment. But that's not the love of God. The love of God does not involve punishment like that. And it was just such a revelation, um, you know, about this scripture. Because this man was tormented. Like it says, fear has to do with torment. This man was tormented in his mind. So prayed that the love of God, that he would get that revelation that would set him free of how much he was loved, of what love really was like, and what true love really was like. So we need to be motivated and motivating others through love, not fear. Um, I like the way the New Living Translation says that. You got it. I just thought it was beautiful when I read it. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And again, you know, I'm growing in that. I'm learning. I'm asking the Lord, you know, let me become perfected in your love, that there's no fear. You know, it cast out fear of man. It cast out fear of all kinds of things. You know, fear of loss of control, fear of not getting it right, fear of not doing it right. Let that love cast that fear out of me, Lord. You know, when we know how much we are loved, we find ourselves living out what Paul and the other apostles lived out. And verse I want to go to is 2 Corinthians 5.14. And I, I picked the Darby version here, and I think she got it for me. Uh, yes, the first one is the Darby. Uh, it says, For the love of, of, of the Christ constrains us, having judged this, that one died for all, then all have died. I really like that word in this version of constrained. And this is this really has become like a life verse for me, that the love of Christ, him loving me, him loving me sacrificially is a constraining force. So I looked up the definition of constrain. It says to severely restrict the scope, extent, or activity of. Some synonyms would be restrict, limit, curb, check, restrain, contain, Rain in, hold back, keep down. That love of Christ, again, that's the key. That's the key to 
holiness. That's the key to, you know, doing the things that we're saying we want to do. We get into that, well, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Being perfected in this love, being constrained by this love, letting, getting to know the love that he has for you and letting that constrain you and rein you in. Asking him for that revelation. Lord, give me that revelation. Let that love constrain me. And then in this version, it says, for the love of Christ compels us. I love that too. Compels. I looked that up. I'm kind of a word nerd. It says to drive or urge forcefully or irresistibly. It says compel typically suggests overcoming of resistance or unwillingness by an irresistible force. You know, I just see, when I think of being compelled, I think of being driven forward, you know, that I would be driven forward in love, that the things that I do, that the love of Christ would compel me to do them. I would be compelled. I, you know, the, the things that we want to do, the things that you want to do in Athens, the things you want to do with the people around you, that the love of Christ would compel you. It would be a compelling force in your life. And there's another in the NLT. It says, got that one? The um, 2 Corinthians 5.14 with the NLT. It says, either way, Christ's love controls us. And control means to exercise restraining or directing influence over, to have power over. That, that love would be the power over our life. It would be where we get our power. That love of Christ control us. Okay. When you come to know the love of Christ, then the love of Christ will constrain, compel, and control you. That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> Years ago, um, I date myself. How old am <laughs> Dave over there? His hoary crown. <laughs> Um, that in the mid-80s, um, just like you guys went to a, a church conference, we were part of leadership in a vineyard, and we were going to a big um, church growth conference out in Anaheim with John Wimber. And I, um, one of our assignments as part of leadership team was to read a book called Love, Forgiveness, and Acceptance. So I thought, well, I'll take this on the plane, and I'll read it. And I got on the plane, and I pulled it out, and I, this is literally what I looked at and said, love, forgiveness, and acceptance. I was like, that's just, that's, I know that. That's just so, you know, beginner. <laughs> you know, it's like, I wanted something deep, you know. I was, I'd be going to the meat, you know. This was milk. And the Holy Spirit, in his very nice way that he does, very gently rebuked me <laughs> and said, Janice, you can never, ever learn enough about the love of God and about love, forgiveness, and acceptance. I thought it was 101 as beginner, and it is 101, but it's 101 as foundational. Let's look at a few scriptures that kind of support that. First John 4, 8 says, he who does not love God, no, excuse me, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, that's, that's not exactly beginner. <laughs> for God is love. For God is love. And again, we, we've, sing, we've sang those songs, you know, God is love, Jesus loves me. And we think of little kids singing those songs and we think as children, God is love. We need to get this, we need to get this into us, into every fiber of our being. First John four sixteen says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Again, foundational. 
And the place that we want to go is to that place right there. And we have known and believed. We need to know and we need to believe. God wants to take us to that place where we know without a shadow of doubt. We know that we are loved. We believe that we are loved. And I mean, I'll be honest again. Sometimes I do this on that. I start, I waffle. Because again, that performance comes in. You know, those things, the equation, I start to say, well, maybe that has a less than equal sign in the middle. (laughs) And not an equal sign. But it doesn't. He wants to take us to that place. You know, that's the place that we need to go. The things that we want to see, the things that you want to see, the things you want to experience, the things you want to do for God, they're found in that place right there. I guarantee you that is where they are. Because every time I have experienced the overwhelming presence, the miraculous, all of that, I was in that place. That's where I was. I was unflappable in that place. (laughs) You couldn't have told me anything different. That's the place where miracles happen. That's the place, the faith realm. That's where you get into this faith realm where things, they just happen. Okay, let's look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. And this is one of the apostolic prayers. There's some, several of these in Scripture. This is one that Paul prays. So it's kind of like, pay attention. Heads up. Paul is praying something that got put in Scripture. Okay? Let, let's, let's look at this prayer, he says. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Here's your ding, ding, ding. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Again, what you are looking for, where you desire to go, it's found in plumbing the depths of Christ's love. And that's what this scripture is. It, he's, he's plumbing the depths. He's, in, he's, he's praying that you would plumb the depths, that you would plumb the height, the depth, the length, the width, the breadth. You would plumb every facet of the love of God. Because guess what? When you do, you're going to get filled up with God. You're going to get in that place again where you get the place where the fullness of God is flowing through you and in you and in your life. It's a glorious place. (laughs) It's a glorious place. I've touched it on occasion. Like I say, it's like nirvana. It really is. That's that's the only way I can explain it. It's like that's what, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that Star Trek movie where the guy gets pulled out of nirvana and he spends the whole everything trying to get back to that place has anybody seen that any trekkies that's seen that movie (laughs) you know he he spends all his time trying to get back to there so many he does bad things just trying to get back to that place but that's the place that God wants to take and I'm telling you you've been there you're ruined you're ruined because you know then you know you know like I know the difference you know the difference and that's God wants us all to know that difference he wants to take us that place where we live in that difference and where it you know I'm wanting that place where it, it that place becomes like this instead of the roller coaster of love it's the train of love <laughs> I don't want to do this I want to do this <laughs> no stopping this train right can't stop a train oh, I love that God Um, But as it says here, too, um, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Again, what you this is where we are to be rooted, where we're to be grounded, where we're to grow from. Um, Let's tie 1 Corinthians 13, 8 into this. I'm just going to do the very 
it's probably all got up in there, but I'm going to do this. Love never fails. I'm going to tell you, if we can get our faith rooted and grounded in love, your faith won't fail. If you can get yourself rooted and grounded, love never fails, your faith won't fail. That's Again, that's when you get in that place where you know that you know. Nobody could tell you any different. Nobody could tell you that there's anything different than the kingdom. You know, somebody standing in front of you needs healing. Nobody can tell you any different than that kingdom is going to manifest. Because love never fails. And we're told in, told in 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love. And as our spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But the first part of that is pursue love. That's the first thing. That word, when you look that word up in the Greek, it's actually translated in other, other places as persecution. It's that strong of a word. It's not a little, you know, like, well, maybe I'll think about it. It's like no run after it. Some translations say make it your aim. You know, pursue it. Pursue it vehemently. Pursue it. Pursue love. And then let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Again, that's the greatest thing. It's 101. But that's, again, because it's the greatest thing, and it has to be 101. It has to be 101. It has to be our foundation. These three remain. God started speaking to me about that, you know, where I had the big... Uh, earthquake with the tsunami, you had the chilly one, and then you had the one that, you know, wrecked Japan. And he started speaking to me about all this shaking that was going on and that things that remain, because the scripture says he will shake things, and the only things that will remain are those things that remain. These are the things that remain, and the greatest one of them is love. Now, I'm going to, this, as I was preparing this, I'd never seen this before. Again, this week, this was one of those things where it's like, wow, God, you know, this is, this is my take on it, but let's look at John 21, 20 through 23. And uh, I believe that I'm calling this the staying power of John, <laughs> the remaining power, the staying power of John. So let's read it. Um, and, and if you, let me go back and tell you a little bit. John is often known as the apostle of love. He refers to himself all the time as the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, and that sounds kind of like us, like, you know, like he's kind of, but he got it. <laughs> as I have loved you, he got it, okay? So here, Jesus has just told Peter, basically, you're going to be martyred. So I can imagine Peter's a little bit like, wow, you know, he's grappling with that. And he turned and he saw, and again, here's John calling himself. He, he turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Do you okay. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the, this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I think John had staying power. I, he caught it. He caught that he was the disciple who Jesus loved. He caught how much Jesus loved him. And I think he took this promise to heart. They tried to kill John. They couldn't. They actually tried to boil him alive in a cauldron of oil. They immersed him in it. Didn't phase him. Didn't touch him. 
Story goes that the, you know, the ruler was so upset, he was like, and so embarrassed, he was like, we just got to get rid of him. And that's when they exiled him over to Patmos. But I believe that John caught this and he remained. It had staying power for him, no matter what they did. It's just a thought that I had because he is the disciple. You read 1 John and uh, 2 John and 3 John, you will see. John is all about love, and he knew how much he was loved. And then there's another passage I want to take you to, Luke, wrapping it up here, Luke 10, 38 through 42. And this is about Mary. I know we've all heard the story of Mary and Martha, or most of us had. I started not to tell, but then I thought, maybe some people don't know the story of Mary and Martha. Okay, now it happened as they went that he, talking about Jesus, entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. It's the thing that remains. She had chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus, to let him love on her, to to just bask in that love. And Jesus is saying here, that can't be taken away. It's one of those things that remain. It brings staying power. It brings staying power in our life. It brings stability in our life. It brings truth into our life. It brings the things that we want into our life. It's a glorious thing, the love of God. I had some things that too that I felt like the Lord told me um, kind of as I was preparing for this. So I'm just, I'm listening right now. I'm kind of asking him how he wants me to proceed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are loved. Thank you, Lord. Just pray for that revelation now, Lord, just to blanket everybody, to blanket everyone in here as I have loved you, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. I felt like when I was preparing that um, the Lord said that a lot of you needed permission that you needed permission to take a rest stop here, to park. I heard him say to some of you, put it in park. And some of you, God has put in park, not because he's mad at you or upset with you, but quite the opposite, because he loves you, because he loves you. He just wants you to park in this place. And it's okay to park. It's okay to park. The world is all about Martha. But it's okay to park. I think some of you may have been feeling, you know, kind of frustrated, like everything's passing me by. But he's saying, no, come let me love you. saying, come, let me love you. Come, let me teach you what it means as I have loved you. I felt like some of you need permission. Again, permission was a big word I kept hearing. You never heard that you have permission. So through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, you have permission. You have permission to sit down and to take a load off. 
You have permission to slow down and put it in park. You have permission to play. You have permission to sleep. You have permission to dream. I felt like that was a big one. You have permission to dream. Some of you have had your dreams squelched. But the Lord gives you permission. His love gives you permission to, to dream. Again, it ties in with the word even before I got up here. Of how there's this realm of permission. Of his, of his love and permission. Some of you have permission to eat. And yes, I did say that. Because the law produces coveting of every kind. And you need to give yourself permission. You need to take that law off of yourself. You have permission to love and you have permission to be loved. I felt like some of you have never been given permission for anything. So on behalf of the body of Christ, I want to apologize and ask your forgiveness for not giving you permission. God gives you permission. And I've not been a perfect parent. (laughs) Far from it. But as a parent... Some of you, your parents never gave you permission. All they ever told you was no. So as a parent, I apologize to you and ask your forgiveness for not giving you permission. Right now, just forgive those who have wounded you and only said no to you. And let the one who says yes and amen come into your soul right now. The one who says yes and amen wants to take the place of that no. He wants to take the place of that no. So thank you, Father. I thank you for your great love. Your sacrificial love. Your love that knows no bounds. I thank you, Lord, that you want to plunge us into that place. The place of that love. I also feel like that some of you have experienced a spirit of rejection. Right now, that that thing be bound up in your life. And I just loose the love of God. That you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. Say it again. You are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. Break the power of that spirit of rejection off of your life. That you are not rejected by him. And that thing will not be a self-fulfilling prophecy anymore. You are accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Father, that we are accepted in the beloved. Can I ask Zach to give that word he gave? I really, when we were in the prayer room this morning, and Zach, he had a word, and I really feel like it was the Lord, what you saw, that vision. And I'd like you to release that and speak that over us. Sure. Um, Yes, we were praying this morning, praying a lot about love. And I didn't really want to say this vision until, like, I felt like I had no choice. But I had my eyes closed. It was, like, in time of worship. And I just saw, like, the shadow of Jesus walking around before people, behind people, and people were just getting healed. Like, there was no man. It was just the shadow. Like, I know, only know that scripturally from Peter as he was, like, so filled with the Holy Spirit that even those that fell in the shadow, they were healed. And I just saw that happening. I see that. Hap- I believe it's happening. I believe it happened this morning that uh, he did it for us. He came to us, came for us, and heal us um, it's real because yeah. um, I just feel like that the Lord wants you to enter into that and and two I just want to bless that again in you Zach because um, you saw it therefore you have faith for it 
Let that rise up. Let that vision grow in you because you have faith for it. You've seen it. And so um, I just encourage you today. I know that that um, we have a time of ministry. And for these things, if any of these things you have identified with, and there's two more the Lord is telling me, if you've dealt with cutting or if you've dealt with self-hate, the Lord really wants to minister to you in those things today. So thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That was such a good word. We're going to continue into this. If Blake, you'll come on up.